Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish. Welcome, stowaways, to another glorious day on Dish Island and another glorious episode of Dish. I'm here with Paul Verhoeven. Paul, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. What do you mean, stowaways? Well, I figure that while people are here, maybe they can be stowaways. It's traditionally a stowaway is someone who hides in the hold of a ship because they can't afford passage on the Titanic, (laughs) sir. I'm not making any judgments on their financial situations at the moment, Paul. They're stowed and I'm going to make them feel bloody welcome. Okay, great. Well, uh, now that they're here, uh, what do you want to talk about? I want you to forget about all the guests on the island for a second. Mm -hmm. And here is my question for you, Paul. Do you believe that you have genuine survival skills? Okay, so you're here on our island. You're the first person here. Mm-hmm. No visitor centre, no nothing. Sure. Do you think you'd get through a single night on Dish Island by yourself? Here's the problem. The fact that you're even asking the question implies the presence <laughs> of some sort of scepticism on your part. Yes. I'm a bit sceptical. Oh, I think I'd be fine. Okay. I've been camping once, but I feel like the me that went camping is very different to the me that is sitting in front of you right now. So you didn't love the camping? No, I didn't, but I was like nine years old. Okay. Whereas now I'm a big, strong karate man. <laughs> Okay, I, I do have a certain degree of skills. Okay, so all right, you you've stowed away. Uh huh. Hang, now on, you... hang on, hang on, hang on. If I'm on a ship, I'm not camping. Yeah, but what I'm thinking is there was a storm. The crate that you were stowed away in got kicked off over the bow. Well, you think I'm in a crate? No, because there's there's all these Irish people in the bottom of the ship, and they would take me in. You keep getting stuck <laughs> on the Titanic. In, on the Titanic, and yeah. in the small details. Okay, you're here on our island. Yes. What is the first thing that you were going to do to set yourself up for survival? Ah, now I need running water. Uh, I would yes. Like to, yes, I would like to camp uh, quite near the ocean because I think fishing would be a good thing to do. Okay. Uh, I would make sure that there's no bear poo because I don't want to get eaten by bears. Right. So you've really firmly cemented yourself somewhere in the northern hemisphere? Potentially, but I'd also look for a visitor center <laughs> because usually there's ice cream in there. All right, Paul, here's the thing. You wouldn't last an hour, but our next guest might. He not only has a truly unique take on the Desert Island dish theme, but also has a few insights into isolation for anyone struggling in lockdown right now. So back in 2015, the History Channel launched a new reality show called Alone. The premise? To send 10 contestants equipped with just 10 items and a camera kit into isolated regions of northern Vancouver Island to see who could survive the longest entirely alone. Sound familiar? A little bit. But just to repeat, there are no camera crews 
and no gimmicks. Yes, it's the ultimate test of human will. And in alone, whoever lasts the longest wins a 500,000 US dollars. And if that sounds easy, trust us, it isn't. And take it from someone who wouldn't survive 20 minutes in the wilderness. <laughs> Not only do the contestants have to endure hunger, loneliness, the elements, they also face the deadly predators like bears, cougars, other scary non-Australian animals. How do you think they go in Australia? Uh, I think it'd be pretty tough in Australia. I do. The first season of Alone was won by Alan Kay, who lost over 60 pounds during, and I have no idea how many kilos that is, during the course of the season. And he survived by eating stuff like limpets and seaweed, uh, mussels, crab. The thing that really struck me, though, were the slugs. He boiled slugs. It was horrible and wonderful to watch. However, it was another contestant that truly stole our hearts, and that's Lucas Miller, who, as Tegan pointed out, survived on Vancouver Island for 39 days. 39 days. Mm. In that time, he built an incredible shelter, a boat, a yurt, a guitar. In fact, he was famous for his two-note song, which has been heard around the world. But here's the really interesting thing about Lucas. He had enough food. He he wasn't starving. In fact, his most difficult experience on the show was making honest confessions to the camera. And in the end, he tapped out just 17 days before the winner because he felt content with what he'd achieved. Would he have felt more content with half a million dollars? I don't know, but let's find out. So castaways, stowaways, however you got to the island... <laughs> Please welcome survivalist, wilderness expert, and all-round good guy, Lucas Miller. Welcome to our island where you are now trapped. I feel that of all the guests we've had, you're probably the one who's going to deal with the isolation the best. (laughs) That's what they say. I've had a little experience with that. I guess one of the things that kept coming up with us is the fact that when you were trapped out in the wilderness, the assumption is, I think, that you'd be thinking and talking about food a lot. So we wanted to know what dishes were kind of on your mind. Like, what was the first thing? First of all, what was the first thing you ate when you got back to civilization? Yeah, I I got a good story about that. So the whole time the so I did the show alone and I'm sure you, you talked about it beforehand and yes. um and then the the production crew made sure that hey when you get off the the island or wherever we, we were on Vancouver Island northern Vancouver Island when you get off we're gonna have the meal of your dreams waiting for you and and you can't believe how much that ran through my mind literally in my dreams I couldn't stop thinking about food because your body is going through all this starvation and all this change and so um, the moment came. I decided to to leave, and and I and I called them up, and I told them what I wanted, and um, and it was actually really good oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk. Like I just wanted some comfort food, something really steady, like a like a little crispy on the outside, mostly chewy on the middle. You can't have the hard puck sort of things. You got to have like a good a good oatmeal chocolate chip cookie, and so. And so the guys uh, on production like, sure, sure, yeah, we got that for you. They come in by boat. They pick me up. They do a bunch of shots. It's taken a long time because they're trying to get me doing my leaving shots, very dramatic hero footage leaving. And and then I get on the boat and they put me down below and everybody's like high-fiving each other. They got their shots. But I'm like, so so where's my cookies, guys? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah sorry, sorry about that. And they point to a paper, <gasps> a paper bag and I'm like, oh, that's so amazing. And I go to open it up and there's nothing but crumbs left. And I thought it was some oh. sick joke. Uh, it turns out that a couple of the guys um, didn't know they were for me. And so, no, you know, that half hour ride out to pick me up or hour ride, they got a little bored, started, you know, snooping around and found these cookies and, and they just demolished them. And so I'm sitting there like hungry, oh. run down anyways. So it was definitely, um, 
definitely something that was crushing, but don't worry once I got back to land. And I really thought about pumpkin pie, Paul, and I, I've actually been listening to some of Dish, and I realized that pumpkin pie keeps coming up, and I actually dreamt a lot about pumpkin pie, too. A really good pumpkin pie is hard to beat. You sang about it as well, if I recall. <laughs> I did, actually, yeah. And then we grow we grow squ squash here, and so uh, we have this wood-fired orno, and uh, last fall I made about six pies with um, baked squash in an orno. I don't, for folks who don't know what that is, that's a mud oven, a traditional mud oven that you would fire, and then it retains all that heat, and then you pull out the, the coals or let them burn down, and then you just have this radiant, um, amazing cooking space. And so we did pies in there. Boy, you know, hey, if you ever come to Arizona, Paul, um, and I mean, both of you guys are most welcome to um, world famous pumpkin pie from. Oh my God. Look, if that's because we've been trapped here. I mean, look, we've been trapped in Australia for a long time. We like traveling. We love traveling. We would love to come over and eat pies, but we, <laughs> we've been sitting here sort of just going crazy, fantasizing about the meals that we could be eating if we were in all these different places. We still have an abundance of food where we are. I mean, we think about food all the time and we are not, you know, trapped in northern Vancouver Island. Yeah, I just cannot imagine the the depths that you were taken to in those moments of hunger and starvation. And, you know, on the show, you did share quite a few of your food misadventures with us. Uh, the clams. I particularly enjoyed your little clam montage that happened on the show. Do you eat clams anymore or has it, has it ruined that food for you? I haven't actually had a clam since, to be honest. And it's not mostly because of that. It's just I don't live in, like, sea, seafood areas too much. We are close to the um, Pacific Ocean here but you know paul you know i just haven't had any yet but yeah i'm glad you guys uh got to witness me at my finest and my worst I, you know it's really it's really vulnerable sharing that's so much of that with the world you know just people seeing you snot coming out of your nose you know you got diarrhea you're sick and then and then also like succeeding too it's really it's an interesting space but to answer your question no no clams <laughs> <laughs> i bet i guess one of the things I would like to ask is we've spoken with a couple of people who've been part of various reality television shows. You know, the world is pretty savvy now. We understand that things are very produced and that what we're being delivered as an audience is not really what it seems. I feel, though, if there is an accurate representation in reality, Alone's probably one of the shows that comes the closest to that. I mean, there's really not much the producers can do once you guys are out there with your cameras it's up to you. But did you feel when you're watching back, because I, I've read something where you commented on the fact that they mostly showed moments when you were quite uh, emotionally heightened, which you weren't necessarily happy with. Was there anything else that you watched back and went, nah, that just actually wasn't how it felt? Or do you feel that Alone is, yeah, is pretty close to the experience? Yeah, that's such a good question, Tegan. I would say I've worked for a number of TV shows afterwards as a producer and as a consultant. And I would say that this is the most authentic show that I've ever seen. Like, and I would say as a whole, it really is hands down just the people experiencing their experience, which is so rare with TV because it's so produced. And this just happens to be where they filter through and they pick the highlights or the lowlights or the, the medium lights, right? So, so I would say overall, I think, you know, when the show first aired, I had a really hard time um, seeing myself being emotionally in a in a darker place or a harder place or a challenging place, and that was really revealing to me. It's like, 
you know, like think of social media and how everybody puts out their best face and everybody wants the world to see them, you know, crushing it. Oh, I'm on this vacation. Look at me with a margarita and my tie and my hand on the beach. And this is my life. And most of us have what you folks are probably going through in quarantine or a lockdown right now, which is just, you know, there are hard moments. And that I think that's what makes this show also so appealing is that it has the ability to reach people and not just sugarcoat things like we struggle with missing our families. We struggle with our own internal processes and things like that. And so when the show first came out, I was really happy with it. And then there was one episode that really hit me kind of like, ooh, it just kind of hit me across the the chin. And I was like, ah, ooh. And I called the producer up and I kind of like, was like, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're, you're laying out all the worst things. It's like, it seems like they picked a number of moments to be like, to bring up words of like, um, you know, I'm going crazy or, and I did say those things, but that didn't feel like that really depicted my experience and at the same time that was also true so it's hard to do you know what I mean by that Tegan like we're like it's kind of like true and it's also not true it's a selective truth yeah yeah so we're kind of in like murky territory like how do we how do we really navigate this but as a whole I would say I definitely swung high and low um and most of my days were actually somewhere in the middle where I just yeah, was yeah. kind of in like a, uh, a flow state where I felt like my senses were super heightened. I felt like I could hear a leaf fall off a tree like 100 feet away and it would um, just like land in like the branches. And, and I just felt really sensitive to like, hey, don't go here, but you should go here. And I don't know how to explain that. You know, I guess that's some woo-woo, woo-woo stuff, but, it's, but it also felt really real, you know. Um, and I've heard one of my mentors talks about the sixth sense being actually a conglomeration of all five senses heightened and put together. And that made sense to me. Then I'd be like, yeah, I kind of felt like my sixth sense was on, which was my smell was super heightened and my taste was super heightened, which bringing it back to food, then it makes food taste all the better. Like when, have you, you, have you folks, are you campers? I don't know. Are you folks outdoors people or campers? I used to be a camper and I'm trying very much to convince Paul to jump onto the camping bandwagon. He's, he's, he's hesitating well, right now. That's because I went camping <laughs> once with my, my dad and my godfather and it was just them kind of clubbing rabbits for about a week. And it just sort of, it was, it was a weird experience, but I've kind of grown really enamored with nature lately. And I guess I'm just waiting to kind of have that push. And I think alone maybe... Push him, Lucas, push him. Yeah. So, like, how would how would you... Because we've seen you, again, with snot coming out of your nose and, you know, kind of having these bizarre moments in, wilder- in the wilderness. But how would you, on the very brink of committing to it? If we're talking about camping, that's one thing. But if we're talking about, like, um, the passage kind of, you know, like a medicine experience of some sort, um, that'd be different. But... As for camping, if I'm talking to Paul, you right now, and trying to get Paul and Tegan to go out in the woods, I would say, you know, for you, if you're both foodies, it really could just center around the fire. You don't have to um, make it to be something too difficult. Like, bring bring your things in your car, and I don't even like tents unless there's a lot of bugs. I like throw down, like, a bunch of blankets or a little mattress on the ground and or make a bed and and then just set up by the fire. And if I feel like hiking... And so be it. I go hiking. And and then that way I kind of create like a a hearth or a home base. You know, I'll set up 
with friends and we'll just gather firewood and then start finding foods that we can grill. And um, boy, you know, cooking food on real wood fire is such a, a joy and pleasure. And it, it turns meats. I, I forget, are you guys meat eaters? I'm not quite sure. Paul's slowly uh, eradicating animals one after the other that he no longer wants to eat because uh, just he's be, making you, friends with them. You made it sound eradicating. You made it sound like I was wiping out oh, species. Oh no, sorry, okay, it's not the right word. But <laughs> So I'm still a meat eater, but I mean, if it's cuddly and it could potentially have a connection with Paul, he's probably not yeah. going to eat it. My category is <laughs> if it has eyelashes, I kind of struggle a little bit. And it's, you know, and it's not that I, like, again, I think what was interesting was watching, I was watching alone. I was watching you in alone and going, look, you seem very gentle. And the idea of having to kill a thing when it's a practical matter, I, I mean, how do you detach, how do you detach that part of your brain that feels sorry for these things and goes, look, you know, it's all part of the cycle of life. Like, how do you turn that off? I actually don't turn it off I actually try to turn it on even more which makes it more harder more difficult um I had this experience when I was uh, a bartender I was 24 I was driving home late at night and I live I grew up in Iowa and so I was driving home in this old truck and it's like two or three in the morning whenever the bars get out and I there's this beat I go over this little hill and the roads are icy it's winter time and I see this doe standing in the middle of the road a, a beautiful deer and it's like snow everywhere, the moon is out, and it's like zero degrees in Iowa, and I, she didn't move, and I, I hit the brakes, and I hit her, hit her back end, and I damaged her. And, that, and I'd never been a hunter. I didn't grow up um, in a hunting family. I wasn't, we weren't those people. You know, like we, we had chickens growing up. That was as, about as close as I got to, to death and like farm and food life. Uh, but you know, I hit this deer and I watched it kind of move into the ditch and there was this uh, really touching and terrifying and tremendously difficult moment that I had to face, which is, here's this injured animal in the ditch. Do I, you know, move forward and pretend I didn't do that? Do I, do I end its life? Do, what do I do here? You know, like, what's the right thing? And so long story shorter, I had, a, I had a knife on me, like a good Boy Scout, and I went down to the ditch and I said a few prayers for it. And it was really difficult, Paul. It was really difficult to know um, how, to, how to honor something, you know, when, when worlds collide. And, and I ended up taking its life and I, and I made a, a huge promise to that animal at that moment, like, I'm so sorry this happened. You know, I didn't want this to happen and I'll do you honor by figuring out how to I use every single part of you that I know how to do you honor and to keep you a part of my story. And so I, um, you know, trudge out of the ditch with like two foot of snow on the ground. I'm covered in blood. I put it in my truck. I go home. I like, I think I'd go home and my, my dad, it was like, my dad was asleep and he lives next door to where I was staying. And I like go in the house and start yelling at him. How come you never taught me how to do this? You know, like, because I felt like tricked. I'm like, Oh, I'm not a, like, probably through everybody through humanity, except for the last generation or two, doesn't know how to dress, uh, feel dress an animal, you know, cause like you, we now have the choices of kind of that. But I think most people probably lived a hands-on grittier lifestyle, at least most people, I'm not saying, uh, you know, everybody in the world, but most people probably, somebody in their family knew how to be a hunter and knew how to dress game. And so I ended up turning the deer into, I uh, used its hide and made pants. And I was a, a wild guy living in a cabin for a while with deerskin pants and long hair. And I turned the bones into tools and I used the meat to jerky and steaks and fed my family. And so, so to answer your question, I, it still hurts me. Every time, every time I take an animal's life, it, it is, it affects my heart. And I always say a simple prayer to it, you know, like, 
and I have that personal prayer for me and try to honor it the best that I can. And, but it is still difficult and I don't like doing it. I, I don't ever like killing things. Would you say that's like kind of transactional? Because I mean, when you get a thing, typically you're meant to pay for it. It seems like what you're paying for, for these, you know, for the food and the pants is, is the kind of the slight cost that, you know, the emotional, spiritual cost. But does that affect your experience in everyday life? I mean, if you go to a takeout joint and eat a hamburger, I mean, do you think about the animal behind that because of what you've been through? I do if I'm feeling more connected to myself but you know how we get kind of distracted or and i don't think of it i definitely have that side of me too I, i'd love to believe that i'm a like um like very in tune and spiritual but there's sometimes i fall asleep and sometimes i stare at my phone too much and sometimes i don't want to deal with my life or my problems but there are times there are a lot of the times that i do try to be like we actually say a simple prayer for for food just to hey thank you for the rain and thank you for all the animals that made this food and um, all the green things that fed those animals and, um, uh, and all the farmers' hands that brought that in were just really appreciative. You know, even if, you know, God or no God, whatever folks choose to believe in, there is something on our plates that came from a place and, and, and we're grateful for that. And I think that's, that is how I generally go about eating food, is at least to stop and to pause. And that also slows me down and helps me digest the food better because a lot of us are just yay, we see it, and then we cram it in, and then we feel like crap afterwards, or a lot of people eat fast. And I mean, are you are you folks fast eaters? Do you guys have like a, a ritual before you eat? Do you cheers? Or I mean, what's, what's the life of Paul and Tegan? How do you guys? I like to unhinge my jaw and insert the food <laughs> in one go. No. <laughs> We're trying to be, I suppose, more conscious, definitely. Mm. And that all started, uh, actually, so we went into lockdown, a very hard lockdown in Melbourne last year. And Paul and I stopped the one of the first things that went away is we stopped eating takeout and we started cooking more. And even that was just a, a level up in that you're really focusing on on what you're eating because you've you've invested in it. And it has just started uh, growing from there that our relationship with food has changed. And it's it's one of the things about about lockdown that we're really grateful for. But using the whole animal is something that we're really keen to do. And I think you need to you know, we need to put in more of an effort to find those suppliers. And I know that they exist and I know that they're out there. And mm. it's really interesting, though, that uh, I feel that where we are, it's a position of privilege to be able to do that. Because if you're looking for that animal that's been bred properly and nurtured on a farm and, and, and killed humanely, generally you have to pay for that. I find it fascinating that, that to be ethical is actually at the moment in some ways aligned with vast privilege mm. you know i find that just an interesting thing yeah we're in a whole new world with um responsibility and what does that mean and we're all kind of i think there seems to be like a collective waking up of taking more responsibility and understanding impact especially as yeah. we see more climate change happening and and we just know that um getting foods from the other side of the world that takes a lot of energy from ships and planes and farmers and all these things, right? So there's the whole slow foods movement that's happening and uh, farm to table stuff. And, um, and it does, it does require us to kind of do more research. And I'm, and I'm with you, Tegan, where I'm kind of discovering even in myself, like what, what is responsibility with being um, a food eater now that we have like, we have a global trade network going on. What does that mean? And, and how can we be more responsible and also stay grounded and, and not be uppity, just trying to navigate this all with, with the constant state of the 
the constant shift of the world that we're in right now. Can you tell me a little bit more about where you are in Arizona at the moment? So you are living, you're quite isolated again. What's the drive behind this move that you've made? I'm here on the border of Arizona. I live in this outside of a tiny town of 500. So I'm not even in the town of 500 um, in this area, uh, Aravaca, south of Tucson. And I live in the northern part of the Sonoran Desert. And why am I here is such a good question. Have you ever just found yourself in a place that you never thought you'd be and you just say yes to it because kind of things kind of feel right enough? Like, have you ever made a move or took a job that you never thought you'd take? Is that? I mean, to a degree, yes, I can completely relate to that. It's not taken me to the Arizona desert, unfortunately. Um, but I think I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling when you just go, okay, and then then you're in a situation, yeah. I mean, love's like that. I mean, you just sort of go with the flow if it feels right, mm. you know? Yeah, that's true. You never thought you would date this person. They, they don't have that look that you kind of generally like or the characteristics that you like, but they had a weird laugh and their nose is kind of strange. But then after like a couple of days, you're like, this is, I love, I love this though. And so I... I um, study all these primitive skills, wilderness living skills. I've been an outdoor educator for a long time. I've been working with the organic uh, food movements and homesteading. That's been a lot of my life is in education and uh, and then wilderness therapy, mental health stuff. Uh, my careers have kind of bounced around that. And so I have a couple teachers that I come down here and visit. They They live out here in the middle of nowhere. And so I've been coming down here for 10 years. And then upon my last visit, I was going through, maybe four years ago, going through a bad breakup and I'm not sure what's next. I'm, I think I'm going to move away from uh, my partner. I think we just have, you know, broken up and gotten back together too many times. And I think it's just time to call it good. And then and, and my teacher said, well, why don't you, you know, there's a property down here at 20 acres. You should take a look at it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. So I go look at it. And I'm like, no way. It doesn't have running water. It doesn't have all the perfect things that I want. And then I and then I said yes eventually. You know, it was a slow courting process. And I've fallen in love with the desert. There is this this magic here that is hard to describe unless you experience it. And it's it's these cactuses and um the birds in the sky and the amount of um the amount of mountains that surround me, the wild spaces that nobody has named the peaks and it, it feels like earth is becoming more and more tracked and and managed and more Instagram photoed. And there's, I just live in a, in a wilderness area that not many people want to live because it's, there's poverty here and it's rough and it's not really a beautiful place. But for me, I also do a lot of things, bring it back to food, like wild harvesting foods. And so there's tons of really magical food plants and food things out here that, um, are kind of not known about relatively that, that I go out religiously and kind of have my own little, um, gathering festival. You know, I kind of follow like native native patterns of like food gathering here and food gathering there. So certain cactuses like the saguaro cactus, you know, the classic, the arms raised up in the air cactus. I'm sure you've seen yeah. photos. They make a beautiful um, flower and then a fruit that comes on right before um, July happens. And this fruit uh, is like an egg that pops open, looks like something out of the movie Alien. It pops open and all these little weird petals open up green fruit and then inside is the most unbelievable fuchsia fruit that's shaped like an egg and they'll fall to the ground and and dry out and they taste like a mixture of strawberries and figs riddled with uh, sesame seeds and and it's just like something like that if you've never had a saguaro fruit you've got to sometime in your life and it's just stuff like that i fell in love with or 
um, a wild chiltepin pepper, which is the grandmother of all um, hot pepper plants in the world. It's like the, they call it the first pepper plant from which all peppers descended from, you know, and it's about 100,000 Scoville units. So it's like, it's pretty hot. <laughs> it's like 10 jalapeno hot, you know, or five jalapeno hot. And it's just plants like that that um, captivate me. So I've kind of moved here for the plants. I kind of moved here for the space. And also, um, because not a lot of people want to live here, land is still affordable. And I haven't become a billionaire yet, guys. So oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's still economical to live here, too. So that plays into it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We know that you've got cactus flowers and chilies. You can't, you know, you can't live on that stuff. So what else are you doing to kind of build up, you know, your kitchen and build up dishes over there? Right. Yeah. So we cook a lot of um, food outside on a mesquite wood fire. We have a lot of low-growing mesquite trees. We raise chickens here. I have turkeys as well. I have like a wild uh, Spanish turkey and uh we we i've fallen in love with i used to live in hawaii and i was on the big island and um, i met this hawaiian guy one day outside of a grocery store and he had this rotisserie on the back of his truck it was like a big pit iron pit grill rotisserie with like 30 chickens on it and i like had a beach with my friends and um I saw this guy and I'm like, gosh, I feel like he might have some magic. You know, he looked well fed. He looked really happy. I'm like, I'm going to buy a chicken from him. And it was just the most magical experience uh, of eating a chicken. And no, Paul, you're not into that. Oh, wait, do chickens have eyelashes? I forget. Uh, no, no. <laughs> a, a, a chicken a chicken burned down my dojo and killed my sensei. So it's actually my act of revenge to eat chickens. Yeah. <laughs> well, very good. Then then you would get, uh, you'd get down with this. Then So now I've just dedicated myself to perfecting the art of a good roast chicken. And so here I have a, um, we have chickens, we raise our own, uh, we, we do the whole thing where we take off their heads and, and we gut them and all that thing and then we, we chill them for a bit because that seems to do really well. And then I marinate them with salt that we harvest um, from a wild place nearby. We, there's actually like dry salt lakes, so we go gather our own salt even and I believe that like good salt is really special. And then I do a chiltapin rub where we do these, we crush these little chilies and put them on there and soak them with a little... Um, sugar salt water and uh, wow it's unbelievable what a six hour rotisserie on a mesquite fire will do to a, a bird it's just off falling off the bone tender and it's really wow. something special and so that with a some ho homemade tortillas we do you know ground up corn tortillas we mix a little bit of wheat flour in here um, just to get them to stick together uh, chop up some avocados some cabbage um, what else do we put in there? Yeah, little little avocado, yeah, guacamole, and um, yeah, generally just whatever we have kind of on board. Tomatoes we grow. So we are doing a homestead here. We do grow a lot of our own food, but we don't produce nearly all that we would like to. It's it takes like a a, a long time to develop a relationship with the land and to know how to make food really come out of the ground. To because here it isn't like the greatest soil on the on the planet. It's kind of like rough desert soil, but you can. You can kind of coax it to, to grow things for you. 
I mean, do you guys have like a garden? Are you garden people? We don't have a garden at the moment, unfortunately. We are in a, uh, an apartment in a very built-up area uh, out of uh, just outside of Melbourne called Paran. Um, we live across from a train station. Actually, we're so close that we could we could throw things and hit the train station, <laughs> um, which we've yet to do. But we, you know, you never know what will happen. We're um we're trying to grow our own herbs at the moment because yeah. we have an aversion to paying money um for herbs. Yeah. Oh, I have this policy, Lucas, and we've told listeners. About about this, but I regard lemons as the people's fruit, so I go from house to house and just steal people's lemons. Oh, we I love doing stuff like that. So, um, there's so much food out there, like uh, Tucson and Phoenix are big citrus groves that were eventually turned into cities, or vice versa. So, you know, a lot of citrus groves have turned into housing areas, and so they kept some of the trees in the yard. So, there's these citrus trees there that are 100 years old, you know, and and these big, beautiful million-dollar homes, nobody really cares that much unless they're making like a, a greyhound or a, some sort of like cocktail. They don't really care. And so I'll roll right up and just knock on their door or just, you know, relieve them of some of their lemons and limes and grapefruits. But I'm not a big fan of grapefruits. I, I love the flavor, but it, it gives me a headache. I don't know what it is, but lemons and limes and oranges, I'm on board. I'm so excited to hear you speaking so passionately about food. Not that I thought you wouldn't, but Paul's got one friend who's a survivalist and he's very much of that uh, belief that food is fuel yeah. and doesn't really get a lot of uh, enjoyment from it. And I remember the first day, well, as far as we perceived it, it was your first day um, when you were on alone. You'd kind of prioritized all the things that you needed to preference for your survival. And I think it went um, warmth, shelter, water, food. And at the time I went, what do you mean food is last? <laughs> it goes against every instinct of my being. Um, but it's just, you know, I guess that we've survival's very different from everyday life, but it feels like food really is at the core of, of a lot of who you are. It is. And um, I think like the amount of reverence that I have for it is also because I haven't had it at certain times. You know, I, I grew up poor, um, you know, and, and even having experiences where we didn't have food or we had to go. I mean, I've grown up wild foraging for food, you know, and because we didn't always have a lot of it. And also, you know, as an adult or having different experiences like alone or fasting, you know, um, just being without it. And then when you have it in your hand again, you hold it and it's like you're holding something absolutely divine. You know, when you have that cookie or that cupcake or that glass of milk again or whatever it is that you love, you know, that sandwich, uh, that taco, and you're just like, oh my goodness. It, it almost brings you to tears. When I was eating for the first time after alone, I was, you know, brought to my knees in some ways with, with reverence for how incredible it is. And it, you know, and then once you have it for weeks and weeks and weeks, you don't feel the same way. And I think there is something about going without something, which will bring you back to a good state, a good relationship with it. It's like, you two being stuck in a, a room together, I'm sure you don't ap appreciate each other in the same way as you would if Paul were to go away for a couple of weeks and come back or Tegan's, you know, vice versa. And like you see each other again, you're like, oh, yeah, you're really funny. And I think you're pretty handsome. I actually like you. I actually like you. You know, and, but if we're around each other all day, it's like, oh, that thing you do. Oh, you you put your fork on your teeth when you eat the, the stuff, you know, oh, I can hear that sound, you know, and it's like stuff like that, that like relationships do to each other. So I think food is also like that, you know, like 
if you ever want to open up your relationship with food, go without for a day or two and then dive back in and you'll be like, wow, the, the flavors just jump off your tongue and you're just so alive with it again. Yeah. This idea of going without, um, I know that before you were even on the show alone, you did something called a vision fast. I believe that was in the Rockies. It's kind of a, uh, it is, it is a, an indigenous tradition, generally four days and four nights without food and water, um, sitting in wow. a designated area um, with you have a guide who's kind of like your spirit guide they're kind of watching you you know so in this case we we did four days of prep work where we're kind of toning down the types of foods that we're getting into we're preparing ourselves for this like the spiritual journey and we're talking we're processing things that we need to process in our lives but basically we're trying to and let go of things that hold us back and invite things in that we're ready for like we're ready to to be, uh, we're ready to level up, you know? And sometimes those moments feel like, like breaking points, actually. They feel like, I don't know where to go and I don't know what to, where to take my career and I don't know where to do with this partnership and I don't know what to do with my illness and I don't know what to do with X, Y, and Z. And so they feel like breaking points, but they're actually great moments to ask for help. And in this case, this is a moment to ask for help from mama, you know, mama earth, whatever you want to call it, like the great, these, these great magical incredible forces on earth around us that exist all the time, whether we just want to call them water and wind and sun that makes things happen, you know, the moon and the moon lifts up massive amounts of water in the ocean and drops it down. Like how incredible is the moon, you know, and, and women are synced up to it and all this crazy stuff. And the sun makes plants grow and all these, you know, pardon, I, sorry, I got into a hippie tirade there, but, but it, but it is, I think that sometimes we like to steal magic from something because it might make us feel like we're too, I don't know. I feel like, there is so much magic in this world and we just want to like dumb it down into just science. And I'm not an anti-science person. That's not what I'm getting at. But I think science and the magic of life can coexist, right? Like, um, like stars can don't just have to be balls of burning gas a million billion miles away. They can also be just these beautiful things that um, stir unspeakable feelings inside of us. And they can be that science thing too, you know? And, and so I'm out there sitting on the hillside in the circle of stones that we make. And the whole idea is to be in a form of reflection or prayer or meditation. And boy, I'll tell you, when you get um, away from the screens and away from the food and away from the distractions, time starts to move really freaking fucking slow. It's like so hard. It's like so tough. Like Einstein talks about it. He says, you know, you know, an hour talking to your sweetie, like somebody that you're like interested in can just fly by in like, you know, a few moments and then sitting on a hot stove for 10 seconds can feel like an eternity. And, and that's the relative relativity of time, you know, like time, time moves strangely. And so when you're in these places, or when I was in this place, I should say, wow, you know, same thing with alone, being on that show. People look at like 39 days or 20 days past or 15 days past, like uh, all the all the people who've been on the show have entered weird vortexes, like weird psychedelic vortexes of reality that time moves sometimes atrociously slow and it's very difficult and you're sitting on a hot stove. And that's what it felt like being on that vision quest. You know, I was basically doing work to to clean house, you know, I'm really, um, I'm a person who, who is really okay with looking at myself. And I, I grew up in a family where some people don't want to look at their, 
their challenges. No, I don't want to look at my blockages and I don't want to look at the stuff that I don't want to deal with. I just want to develop addictions and set them over here. I just want to forget about them, you know? And for me, I'm like, I, I'm okay with looking at them. I don't want to hyper fixate on them. I also want to live a fun, happy life. I want to do cool stuff and I don't want to talk about hard stuff all the time, but I also don't want to not talk about hard stuff, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, I'm trying to always, are you guys this way? Or do you, do you feel like you want to dive into like your work or do you feel like you're just like, nah? Like, how do you deal, how do you deal I'm, with cleaning house internally? When we do like hashing things out and really going in there, I, I think so. But I think, um, you know, it, it's a hard thing to do and you can always, I suppose, do things better. You can be more efficient with mm. your cleaning. Sometimes it feels like instead of cleaning house, I'm just moving things from one room to the other and not really getting oh, them out. But just, just band-aid solutions, You know basically. what I mean? Yeah. You know when something's messy and you just put a big old rug over the top of it? Sometimes oh. I, I worry that in my, my trying to clean, I I just put the rug over everything. But I, I know that I want to clean. Yeah, I, I have a different system, Lucas. I have, you know, at the back of a TV where there's like 4,000 wires that are tangled together and they're all just like the, the, the sockets smoking and everything's over. But I have a system and it works. If I would actually have to pull everything out, it would be super complicated. So what I do instead is just like push them to one side and just put more cords in, right? It, it is the addition of small solutions which cause more problems rather than the willingness to actually just go out into the wilderness like you did and just like pull the power out of the plug and have a reset. But I, I'm wondering if there's anything that you learned while you were on a loan or just through your life that you think might help people who are sort of struggling with the isolation of lockdown. Well, we have a lot of friends at the moment who... um you know, they went through lockdown last year and I think everybody got into their head that 2020 was the bad year and things were going to get better in 2021. Mm. Now we're well over halfway through this year and they are, um, they're not doing okay. No. And that's, I think that's all right. And I think it's really understandable, but do you have any advice? Advice. This is a great topic. I actually think this is a really good place where we're at in humanity. And I, that's such a strange take to have on it. Like for all our entire world to kind of go on time out, I didn't expect it to be like juicy and fun. You know, like I didn't expect this to be easy for the common collective, like all of us, you know, we're all going through it in our own ways. Some of us have lost people, some of us have not, you know, but still the world has shifted within the course of a year or two, like the entire world has shifted dramatically. Like, wow. Like, I think we're all scratching our heads still over it. But I do think that the quick advice that I could give is that more doesn't help sometimes. Try to, trying to fill the, the holes, right? Try to fill the gaps with things. I think it's okay to ache, and I think it's okay to to feel. And I and I I think that was one of my biggest messages that I that when I went to do the show alone, that I wasn't going to hide who I was. That I wasn't going to hide my experiences. I wasn't going to go on and be some like big dick survival guy and be like, yeah. I, Rambo in this, I'm going to kill shit. And like, I'm not going to show who I am. And I'm like, no, this is, this is actually who I am. Like, this is who I am. I want you guys to see me ache because I know other people do. If I ache, if I get frustrated, if I get confused, if I celebrate, if I feel joy, like other people have to feel that. And so I don't want to hide my colors. I don't want to hide my color palette. I don't want to just be red, white, and you know, orange. I want to be all the colors that I am as a human being. And and so I'd say that this is a really beautiful check in to, to where we're at. Like, yo, are, are people living their best lives? Do, they, do you feel good about your job? And if not, like, 
can can you make a change and if you can't make a change then what what things can you change and so really quick bits of information i think it's okay to hurt and i think it's okay to to feel this confused you know and i think it's also it's really good to ask for help and we live in an information age where there's help available and we have to do a little bit of looking but i do believe that there is help out there um even if it's just in friendship and a glass of wine or a cup of tea with a friend. And I think that covering up isn't working and excess isn't working. That mo modernity and all of its things don't always make life better. And that doesn't mean that I'm like anti couches and TVs and stuff like that. I think those are beautiful things, but they're, they're experiences that I don't think we should overuse. And I think it's okay to, to be without. And, and then that the scary part is what do we do with that? Once we start to step into that unknown place where there is raw feelings and Paul's hard wires that are smoking in the back and the, the, the looming, the looming events of our parents passing away, which that's on the forefront of my life right now. My, my dad and my mom had both gone through very serious things. My dad's, you know, not doing that great. And it's just like, wow, he was like a, a major force in my life. And what do I do when that person's gone? And it, it just also brings me into this space of like, whoa, I'm, I'm only here for so long. Like, wow. I like, I, I'm in the middle of my life ish, you know, like I'm 38, you know, and, uh, and what does that mean? Am I happy with what I have done on this earth? And do I need to get my ass in gear and offer some more or, and how do I do that without overwhelming myself and being like, Oh, I should have done more with my life and X, Y, Z. So, so it is, it is interesting, all the stirrings that happen. Um, in yoga, I study, I study like old yoga, really like the old philosophies too. And they say that when you start to stir your pot, your inner pot, what comes up first is the hala hala, which is kind of the crap more than the cream. So the crap comes up first. So once we actually start to really stir what's inside of us, the, the foam sludge comes off and we have to kind of know how to get a spoon and so we can actually see the clear broth of our lives. And, and I don't know if that's a great metaphor, but I think you guys are seeing it was try. a food metaphor. So I do appreciate it very much. I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, first of all, let me just say that I think your quiet revolution is, is absolutely working and just thank you for sharing all of that with us. But we do need to ask you what your can I just just say quickly oh. what often happened what no what's happened is we've we've gone so deep into the waters of profundity that you're going to get whiplash when we pivot back to our stupid premise <laughs> which is that you are trapped on a <laughs> before we ask you a desert island dish i have actually a question that's even even more bizarre to oh ask God, you okay. and i'm so excited about this so you're on the television show alone now, we come from a country where everything is trying to kill you. Like, our wildlife is bad over here. So I, I totally, I could relate to the cougars and the bears and everything like that. But why do you all say, hey, bear? I don't understand. We laugh so much. It's like, hey, bear. So for everybody listening, uh, they're, they're, quite often people on northern Vancouver Island come into contact with bears. Well, occasionally what happens is it seems like one out of ten people gets put <laughs> right next to the bear, the bear house. And instead of running, everybody just says, hey, bear. Uh, totally. Yeah. I, I actually heard that some people were starting a drinking game that whenever anybody said, hey, bear, on a loan, they'd have a, have a drink. Um, That's awesome. So, so the whole the whole premise is that you're making yourself known, and and bears are so such an apex predator or apex animal that they're often their their hearing isn't as good as their scent, and so they're they're often focused on eating the berries or eating the salmon. And so when people are walking around, they um, they'll people will stumble upon bears actually quite a bit, and then the bear will freak out and charge or false charge or something like that. So. 
So the the whole Hey Bear thing is just making yourself audible. And you don't have to say Hey Bear, but that has become the thing is that everybody now is saying, hey, Bear, you know, and it's like, it's kind of annoying. After I watch the show, I'm like, oh, boy, we're all doing this thing. And it's kind of a wilderness thing, but it's like we could have said anything else. You could have chosen a million things to say because it's just about being audible and loud, you know, but <laughs> it has become okay. hey. I know why they say it. It's in the vain hopes that one day the bear will reply. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> oh, hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Like having a conversation with him, but... I wish it was something more, more beautiful or dramatic or interesting. And it's just no, it's it's lovely here in Australia. We have a very similar thing with all of our snakes because the snakes over here are you know pretty aggressive. So we stomp everywhere. Yeah, and you'll just see very normal people out there just walking like absolute idiots, just stomping around the place. The snakes feel the vibrations and they go away. It's the opposite of worm sign in Dune. So in Dune, they use thumpers to attract. Oh right, the sandworms <laughs> in Australia, you thump to. Yeah, to send him off. Yeah, I, I, I really have an issue with snakes. It's one of my, the, uh, it's my big fear is, is snakes. And, um, and I have to get very used to them because my parents have moved out to a place where there are just, there are a lot of them. So I'm trying to find my happy place with the fact that the snakes actually don't want to hurt us. They don't even want us around. So just, just let them know you're there. Every guest gets to bring a dish with them to the island, and we are curious, especially given your kind of, you know, culinary prowess and, you know, the way you live off the land, what is your desert island dish? That's so good. I'm going to have to, I mean, I know people have already talked about pumpkin pie. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I, I do, like, number two would be oatmeal chocolate chip cookies, because I think having some, some sweet treats could get me some friends on the island, you know, and I might be able yeah. to, like, work some deals, because it seems like there's some really cool people that have already, that are on the island right now. Um, but I am going to have to do the roast chicken over a fire and it has to be a fire roasted rotisserie chicken. It can't be an oven one. I'm, I'm going to make the whole idea is if we want to replicate this, you've got to go camping. You've got to go outside because the, the idea of this dish is to get some nature time and be out um, with some friends under, under open sky. So it's got to be a, a wood fired rotisserie, um, marinated chicken with with chilies on it and maybe we can come up with a good recipe to put on the site oh my goodness this is amazing yeah and it means that we actually we have an excuse to raise chickens now so there's (laughs) there's huge chickens on the island which is great oh this is thank you so much i i absolutely love the dish i will be hunting you out on the island i've got a lot to think about now you've really started some some little cogs clocking over in my brain and i i love that you've done that so thank you so much for sharing so much of your experience not only on alone but just your life experience with us Mm, it's a pleasure speaking with you tegan and paul uh, I'd love to meet you folks someday, so if you're ever in my neck of the woods or vice versa, please reach out. Seriously, if we are ever in your neck of the woods, we, we'd we love to come by. Please do. I mean it. Thank you so much today. It has been a pleasure speaking with you folks. I think you got a really cool thing going on here. And uh, it's been a, awesome. just, it's just been fun uh, meandering through through time and space with you and food. Paul? Yes. I want to change everything about my life now. Yeah, I think I had some sort of <laughs> spiritual awakening during that interview. Oh my god, I really loved I really really loved Lucas and I I really appreciated that conversation. I know that might sound like a weird thing to say, but I just I did. I appreciated everything he threw our way. It was incredible. Yeah, I don't mean to sound overly ponderous, but I think I needed that talk. What is the biggest thing you're going to take away from the conversation with Lucas? This is going to sound really odd, but I have for a while been cobbling together, and I don't know if this is too weighty to put on a podcast about food. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. Okay, great. 
I, for a while, I've been kind of building what could be loosely defined as a belief system. Okay. Just like, like a very vague belief system. And hearing Lucas say things which exactly synced up with how I feel about the world and how I feel about, you know, all kinds of stuff. I think I might have uh, locked some things in. It's very personal, but I think, yeah. I think he did just kind of check a few boxes for me, and I need to go away and have a pretty serious think. And uh, look, it's not that next week you'll find me in a yurt 3,000 miles from here. Although that wouldn't be bad. No, and also, this island doesn't have any yurts. Why don't we have yurts? Yeah, okay. All right, I think that we've got to prioritise yurts. I mean, at this point, okay, we've got so many things on the dish island, but we didn't have anyone who had that kind of level of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, how would you describe Lucas in one word? Spiritual. Yeah, or like profundity or something, but he brings a certain like weight to the gravitas. island. Gravitas. There yes. is a gravitas about Lucas Miller. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Similarly, there was so much that I took from that conversation, but I think one of the easy things, one of the top line little points that I will be able to put into practice straight away mm-hmm. is just that idea of simplifying. Like many people, I can get stuck in, what do they call it, doom scrolling? Yeah, where you sit there on Twitter or Instagram and suddenly it's an hour later and all you've been doing is basically like shotgun blasting your brain with negative stuff. Oh my gosh. And Twitter, I mean, I'm, I I don't go on Twitter much anymore because even the people who I love hearing their opinions, if yeah. they're sad, then I get sad and it's like, oh wow, I was happy and now I'm sad. But I think that idea of just bringing it all down a level, mm. maybe not hopping on my phone as often as I want to, because you know what? If there's really important news out there, it will find me. The news will find me. It's not like we're going to go into another lockdown and I won't hear about it. The important news will get in, but I don't need to be checking it three times an hour. I find it so interesting that you say that if we went into another lockdown, you'd find out about it. If we just avoid the news for a week, go outside, and everyone's wearing crash helmets, we're like, what the f happened? <laughs> Uh-oh, Dan's on another level. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, everyone, um, good morning. Uh, he's wearing a new anorak and there's meteors coming out of the sky. <laughs> but look, I think Lucas's approach of just disconnecting for your own mental health is a really important lesson that we've all learned. And I'm so happy that he's on the island now. Well, next week, folks, we've got another really, really great guest. And we're excited to welcome them onto Dish Island. But for now, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you got out of it as much as Paul and I clearly have. We need to go and sit in a little dark, quiet space and think about our feelings for a while, you should do that too. Absolutely. And stop stowing away on our bloody boat. And if you cook anything great, let us know on Instagram. We're dying to hear what you've been doing in the kitchen. Yes. And again, we can't state this enough. Thank you so much for listening to Dish. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish is part of the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.